leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Gary Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a second-time guest on the program. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum and uh, also a big-time Golden State Warriors fan, Bert Chen. Bert, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Now, uh, we're going to be talking nothing but the Golden State Warriors on this episode, Bert, and the Warriors having an excellent season so far. We're recording this on uh, on Tuesday night. They're actually playing uh, against the Detroit Pistons this evening, one of, uh, one of two games on the Tuesday NBA schedule. But uh, coming into Tuesday night's game, the Warriors sitting with a 31 and 12 record, 13th in offensive rating and first in defensive rating, according to Cleaning the Glass. Also third in the NBA in net rating at plus 7.6. Most recently, they uh, they lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves on Sunday night, 119 to 99. But uh, that was without the likes of uh, of Steph Curry and Draymond Green. But, you know, Burt, coming into this season, obviously, you know, the Warriors just missing the playoffs last year. They, uh, they made some changes in the offseason, maybe brought back some guys that, uh, that fit Steve Kerr's system a little bit more. And so far, it's, it's been working beautifully. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's easy to get caught up. I think the Warriors recently hit a bit of a rough patch and now in the middle of the season, but coming into the year, like, you know, Warrior fans were um, pretty disappointed at the play and loss uh, last year. And, uh, you know, I feel like there was some mixed, uh, you know, maybe cautious optimism, like 
kind of some frustration depending on where you're coming from in terms of the Warriors offseason moves. But, uh, you know, if you take a step back, like I think, you, you know, most people are pretty pleased that, you know, I think almost everything is uh, worked out for them other than, you know, James Wiseman having some injury setbacks. And you could maybe argue that that, that also has helped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, Analytically I'm, that there's no, there hasn't been much evidence that James Wiseman is a positive player yet. <laughs> but yeah, he's supposed to return fairly soon. Right. I know there was for a while, people were wondering why, he was uh, was taking so long to to return, but then it was revealed recently that he actually underwent surgery in the off season, and that's why it's taken him so long. But seems like he's getting close. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I've seen the same reporting as you. I think last I saw, um, either what has already gone through or is about to go through like full contact practice. So that's promising, and you know. Expect to see them, you know, maybe the next month or I don't know. The Warriors have been pretty cautious with their guys this year, so could could be a little longer. Yeah, let, let's get to the guy that actually has returned. I'm sure that's what everyone wants to talk about. And one of the reasons I was excited to, to do a Warriors episode this week, and that is Clay Thompson. Thompson returning against the Cavaliers last Sunday night or I guess uh, two Sundays ago, but uh, in that, in that game, Clay played 20 minutes, took 18 shot attempts, had the monster jam, the crossover against Jared Allen, and then dunking over several Cleveland Cavaliers, hit a three, hit, uh, hit his classic mid ranger. What did you think about, uh, about Clay's debut? Yeah, I think um, he played about as well as, you know, maybe he's, uh, most most fans would have expected you know i think overall um you know the dunk was was nice like that showed you know a level of trust in his like body and athleticism that you kind of worry about with the achilles right and um you know if i remember correctly i'm just looking at like some basic stats like he hasn't really shot that well as of now probably still getting his legs under him but um like he's been relatively stout defensively um just based on you know watching the games i haven't looked at the metrics for his like four game sample but uh you know steve kerr has been kind of hiding him like giving not giving him the the top ball handler defensive assignments really um but he's been like like guys have tried to take him into the post and i feel like he's done pretty well like he's always been pretty strong there um but he hasn't really been stuck on any of like the quicker ball handlers like he didn't spend much time on garland or anthony edwards or you know guys like that yeah, I um I think that's been to me the most impressive element is how he's looked defensively so far in the four games. And again, he's he's on a minutes restriction playing 20 minutes a night. So he's essentially played a little over 80 minutes total. So not a huge sample to work with, but um I think one of the things that was underrated about Clay Thompson even prior to the injuries was how strong he is defensively. And I think that's gonna bode well if he has lost even a half a step in his ability to, to defend the, the point guards of the world, he can kind of shift down and, and defend threes and fours reasonably well. And then, you know, the, the other thing that I think is will benefit Clay's ability to fit in on this specific Warriors team is the emergence of Gary Payton II, where he's the guy that can sort of be thrown on the likes of, you know, they, they put him on in the Memphis game. They threw him on 
John Morant at times. So they've got that guy that they can put on the opposition's elite guards if they need to. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think, um, you know, before anyone had seen like how Clay's rehab was going, there was some thought about like moving him up his position to more of a three rather than the natural two guard, right? Yeah. And I don't know that I've seen that so far necessarily in Steve Kerr's rotation, but like he definitely has a size for it. Like infamously, like Kevin Love was having trouble posting him up at the NBA finals. Like he he's like you said, he's uh strong enough and big enough to take most of the the wing assignments. And uh be interesting to see, you know, how that goes as as the Warriors ramp him up into the playoffs to see if uh you know Gary Payton has been uh consistently getting minutes because of his uh better than expected three-point shooting but does that dry up at all you know you get to the playoffs against i don't know the grizzlies or you know donovan mitchell or someone like can they keep him on the floor enough um is he gonna hit his shots enough where he can be the primary uh defender at the point of attack or are they gonna have to give clay some of those assignments just you know for spacing and scoring reasons yeah, um, you bring up a great point, and I'm I'm interested in getting to that later on, where we'll talk about kind of the the depth of the Warriors and whether we feel like that depth is good enough for for a long playoff run. We'll we'll talk all we'll talk all about that. But again, getting back to Clay briefly, um, so far ten of twenty eight from three, which is thirty six percent. Although I will say he he had one taken away in that Timberwolves game where his heel. <laughs> was on the line and they took it, they took it off the board after the fact, which I had never seen before. Um, but, uh, you know, even just like taking that one away takes him from 38 to 36%, but his shot looks good. The mid range, he's eight of 20 right now, but even that looks, looks solid. He's, he looks like Clay Thompson when he's taking those shots. The one concern for me looking at his, his, uh, again, his limited, limited offensive profile in, in, these four games is his finishing around the rim, just two for eight at the basket. Obviously one of those two being that monster dunk against the Cavs. But uh, you know, that's, that's something where just maybe not having quite as much explosiveness uh, and, and also just having that feel and and getting into a groove. Um, He's, he's, he's usually been a pretty solid finisher throughout his career in, in the mid to high sixties, but uh yeah, so far just two for eight, and we'll we'll see if that uh, if that's an ongoing trend. Yeah, yeah, that definitely something to monitor, and something you would, you know, you would think might be related to rhythm and you know the rehab process. Um, he's never been really like a high volume uh, finisher at the rim, um, but you know that is it is important to be able to. The Warriors team as a whole, like, is very much about like creating at the rim opportunities based off of people doubling Steph. So it'll be important that he can, you know, get that underhand. And he brought up the mid range. The mid range stuff is interesting because um, you know, I've heard other people talk about this. Like, the Warriors' shot profile has been very like analytically sound, um, but at times, like, especially with when Steph is off the floor, when Jordan Poole isn't having a hot game, like, the offense can get pretty uh, ugly at times. And so, like, just having someone able to generate, like, you know, theoretically, like, a 0.9 points per possession or whatever Clay Thompson, like, mid-range pull-ups and, and post-ups are, you know, that, that might be able to give them a little boost. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's a great point. And, and yeah, 
I, I mentioned that the Warriors 13th in offense, that certainly has, uh, has slid in recent weeks. And part of that is uh, due to some, some struggles from Steph himself. But uh, the, the other thing you, you brought up as well with clay is just getting into a rhythm and, dealing with a minutes restriction again playing 20 minutes a night and what Steve Kerr is doing is is fascinating as well where he basically he starts the first five minutes of each half and then he sits out for the rest of the 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 first quarter and most of the second and then comes back in with five minutes to go in the in the second quarter and in the fourth so it's uh you know Clay you'll see him over there on the bike in between his uh, his stints but uh, that's got to be that's got to be tough to sit for that long. And and, you know, Clay is a rhythm player. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think Kerr has been playing around with his rotations a lot this year. Like, you know, historically, Steph has been had very consistent and like easy to remember minutes. Like he plays the whole first and third, he plays the second half of the, the second and fourth. But like. Uh, Kerr's been, you know, messing around with that a lot. I think he had a quote where he's like, Steph doesn't really like the new rotation, but it helps the other guys. And he's, he's you know, one of the ultimate team players. So he accepts that. But uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, especially you'd think his minutes would slowly start to ramp up as the season gets on. Um, you know, I've always, uh, Warrior fans have always had like a love-hate relationship with Kerr's rotations. Like, He'll go like 12 or 13 deep in crucial clinching games sometimes. But then like, you know, that's that's how the system works, right? Like it's they talk about strength in numbers a lot. And, uh, you know, he sometimes he'll, he'll cut it to eight people, you know, within a closeout game or something. But he's, uh, you know, people call him Kumbaya Kerr for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even even with Clay, he did deviate from that uh, that minute load in the in the Milwaukee game in part I think just because it was a blowout the Bucks were up by I think uh, 39 at the half and so in the third quarter of that game he played clay 10 straight minutes um, maybe just to see okay let's see how he looks and if he's got his wind and all that sort of thing but uh, yeah that'll that'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that progresses as they ramp it up I'm hoping it'll become more of like a I think what the what the what the Pelicans did with Zion Williamson, his rookie year was like they played him the first four minutes of every quarter, but to just not have that long gap where it's like 16 minutes of game time, I think would be, would be nice just to make it so that he, he's, he, he's constantly feeling a part of the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, you know, the story with the Warriors has always been like, where does the offense come from when Curry's off the floor? I think overall it's been, better this year without curry um but you know you would think that kerr would go to sort of stagger where steph comes off you know jordan Poole and clay are running the offense in those minutes just to try to keep it afloat while, while curry's getting a breather yeah how do, how do you feel about Poole's play this season you know he's he's obviously going to have a shifting role here with clay back he's in and out of the starting lineup now depending on if uh, if it's a back-to-back he'll likely start because clay is not playing back-to-backs right away but uh you know uh, Poole was my pick for uh for sixth man of the year and i so i so i need him to start playing more off the bench but uh you know he's he's been reasonably productive offensively and as you said, there are there are occasional games where he gets scorching hot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, 
you know, I think I'm looking at his numbers now. I think at this pool is off to a pretty hot start to the season. I think now he's probably cooled off to where his, his efficiency numbers are pretty similar to where they were last year at the end of the season. But like, you know, even that is, is something the Warriors desperately need. Um, they just like, without Curry and without Draymond, especially like they need people who can dribble the ball and like attack off the dribble. And, uh, you know, pool, I would say he probably is still a little like unrefined or like, uh, his bag isn't as deep as he would like it to be, but you know, he, he's really effective getting to the rim. Uh, it's got a quick first step and, you know, uh, could see him, you know, playing ultimately playing that classic six man, like Jordan Clarkson role. Um, either without Curry or alongside Curry. Yeah, he's, uh, as you said, impressive getting to the basket and impressive at finishing once he gets there. 69% at the rim, which is which is really good for a guard. And then also, you know, he's taken 52% of his attempts from three and, you know, hitting just 35% on those. But when you consider how deep a lot of the attempts are, how difficult some of the attempts are, I mean, at times it looks like he's just, taking similar shots to what Steph is, is doing out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting to see, like he's definitely tried to model some of, you know, some of his game after Curry, you know, with the relocation threes, the deep pull-ups and stuff. You would hope that like some of those, you could cut down on some of the higher dif- degree of difficulty shots now that they have more offensive firepower. But um, you know, when, when sometimes when the second unit's off and like the motion offense split cut action isn't working, like, need a guy that's willing to, you know, take the 35% shot. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's, there's a, uh, it's challenging as a coach to, you know, try and reel him in without sort of taking away his confidence as well. You know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a tough line to walk, but uh, yeah, I agree there. There are occasional shots. Uh, yeah. Especially with like 20, 20 on the shot clock where you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe they should have just ran a possession as opposed to taking that, that 35 footer. But um, yeah, pool pool has been, has been really interesting. And I think one of the, one of the fascinating elements of um, this current roster and, and one of the sort of this, maybe this team's variation of the death lineup might be, Curry, Poole, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. And of course, Draymond has been out the whole time since Clay has come back, but that lineup seems uh, pretty unguardable offensively. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how the how the closing lineup, you know, the the new version of the death lineup shakes out. Um, I feel like Kerr has a lot of options, but we'll you might just take on a ticket game to game. I don't know that there's one specific lineup that will be, you know, the best, like you think the four guys you mentioned, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond are penciled in for that. But then, um, you know, Otto Porter is an option at the wing, uh, Gary Payton, um, you know, whoever is hot, uh, could see some Kuminga minutes if he continues to come along. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I feel like that spot is kind of at the outset, you know, some combination of Iguodala, uh, pool and uh, auto porter, but I think other guys can can make their way into that closing lineup for sure, depending on the matchup. Right, and yeah, like Gary Payton the second, I think like yeah, especially if they matched up against Memphis, for instance, yeah, like he would make a lot of sense in there just as your John Morant defender. Um, but uh, yeah, the 
Speaking of uh, speaking of the Grizzlies, the the Warriors played a great game against against Memphis last week, and uh, it it was a back and forth game. Steph had a, an amazing third quarter in that one, but the the Grizzlies ultimately pulled it out. Um, but uh, you know, you brought up that Pool has kind of cooled off as of late, and it feels like the whole sort of Warriors roster has has cooled off, and and Steph especially. Uh, in his last six games, shooting just 33.9% from the field and 25.5% from three. Also had three air balls in that Grizzlies game. Shots that were, you know, for Steph, pretty reasonable attempts. Is there is there any reason for concern here? Or is this just, you know, even the greatest shooter of all time will occasionally go through a slump? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough to say from... In my opinion, like um, last I checked the numbers, like Steph uh, this season, like his dip in three point shooting has been mainly from missing what, you know, NBA.com or whatever source tracking data source you use classifies as like open or wide open shots. It's like from, you know, the last time I checked the numbers, he's shooting reasonably uh, similar to normal for his standards from like with contested threes. But yeah. the finishing at the rim hasn't been very good recently. And then the wide open threes. Um, you'd think the wide open threes would, you know, there's no reason that he should be shooting the percentage that he is. You'd think he would, you know, that'll that'll uh get back to normal. Um, but the the stuff at the rim, I'm not sure. Like people have speculated, you know, the new basketball. Um, there's always the possibility that he uh you know, he is 33 now. There's a possibility that it's getting a little harder for him to finish. You know, he's always been exceptional finishing at the rim. Um, but it's it's tough to say. Like, uh, at some point, you'd think um, he's not going to be able to maintain the level of rim finishing that he has historically. But he is a crafty finisher. Like, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to say. At some point, he should uh, probably slow down and shift more towards, you know, more three pointers, maybe substitute some mid range for for the rim looks um, as his career progresses. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, you make a good you make a good point about the the change in in the balls in the NBA, and also you know could it possibly just be like some some fatigue as well? You know that that could be a reason for missing what you know is would be described as wide open shots. You know, it's for for a year and a half really he's been. Uh, he's been really putting this team's offense on his shoulders and, and that's a lot for anybody. Yeah, for sure. It's uh it's tough to say. I mean, I think historically Steph uh, tends to finish the seasons shooting pretty well. Like his, his percentages go up as the season goes on. Um, I don't know that that's something you can, you know, bank on aside from the wide open three part. Um, but it'll be something to monitor for sure. Cause uh you know, he came out of the gate as like the MVP front runner. And, you know, based on, you know, the the MVP narrative, he's like fallen out of the top five in, in some people's lists. Yeah, he's uh he's shooting 37% from the mid-range, 39% from three, which would both be career lows for him. You mentioned the struggles around the rim. He's at 60% at the basket, which would be his worst mark since the 13-14 season. So his offensive production is down across the board, but, uh, you know, maybe with, with Clay back now, and as you said, he, he, him getting better as the season goes along, uh, that, that can pick back up. But, 
also in that Chicago game, I, I don't know if you caught uh, him him falling and landing on his hand, which actually caused him to miss the the Minnesota game. He he appears to be back and, and good to go for for tonight against the Pistons. But uh, that's that's one of those where you just hold your breath, <laughs> given that uh, what it was a it was a wrist injury that that knocked him out for 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 a whole season with that collision with Aaron Baines. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it was also on his shooting hand, if I'm remembering correctly. So that's definitely, you know, um, some cause for concern. Uh, it's, uh, you know, all these nagging injuries as the season goes on definitely start to accumulate. You just hope that, um, you know, I think the Warriors staff has been pretty good about managing it. I think uh, with with the, you know, where they are in the standings, they definitely like to get the one seed, but like they have a, you know, coming into the season, people had the Warriors that was like, penciled in somewhere between like four and eight right so they uh they have some you know cushion that they can fall back on they're not in danger of uh having the whole play-in thing happen like last week you mentioned the sort of the national narrative of Steph and his MVP case and him maybe slipping out of the top five how do you feel as far as uh, as far as his worthiness of being in contention for that award I, I'll, I'll throw this stat out there which I think is a pretty good measure of of a guy's value um, and Steph has always been really good with the with the on off numbers but Golden State is uh, 20.2 points better per 100 possessions with with Steph on the court yeah I mean it's uh it's it's interesting because you know if you zoom out right you t- you told me that um at the start of the season, the Warriors would be 31 and 12, second in the West, uh, with that, with like, you know, Clay playing kind of like not exceptional, you know, no, no one else other than uh, Draymond. And I think Andrew Wiggins has had a little better of a season than last year. But like, you know, with this roster, you would think that that alone would put Steph, you know, at the top of the MP- MVP ladder. Um, you know, granted, he is shooting poorly. I think it is the narrative wise, it is kind of a thing where like it's getting a lot of love last year, despite being the eight seed uh, before the play in. But, you know, it's a thing where you get disqualified basically if you're not a top four seed, which I generally agree with. Um, You know, I think overall, like uh, so like with that in mind, I think like people have been kind of quick to drop him down the rankings. I think it's it's you know some of it's like kind of for content and like it's a twenty four hour media cycle right so yeah when other guys are surging you got they move them up naturally without kind of the full season context but uh like you know certainly there are other deserving players it's always been the argument like Steph Curry is amazing on offense somewhere between like not bad and and to like slightly above average on defense like how do you rate that versus someone like Giannis who this defensive player level on defense and like also the engine of their offense. Right. It's a, it's, it's kind of an eternal debate um, depending on how you value it. Right. And, and it's also like, how much do you, um, how much credit do you give Steph for the Warriors being 13th in offense? Like I would, I would argue without him, they would be one of the worst five offenses of the NBA. 
so he's he's doing a lot of heavy lifting and he even did again even last year did a lot of heavy lifting and I think they were in the in the low 20s on the offensive end but were more like close to uh, league league average or even a little bit above when he was on the court so so yeah I'm I'm largely in agreement with you that he should still very much be there and yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those things too, where even as even as fans and as viewers, like I've suffered from a little bit of, of basketball burnout in, in recent weeks, and uh, I imagine for the players too, especially for a guy like Steph, who has played in what five NBA Finals and has been in so many playoff series, that at a certain point in the season, you're just oh, let's just get to April at Bay already. Yeah, yeah, I think like you know, and this it's cliche to say, but like. Um, if you watch the games, right, like all of the all like the entire Warriors offense is is de- very dependent on him. Um, you know, he'll have games where he's, you know, five for 15 or whatever. But guy, he's drawing doubles away from the ball. And like, I think Zach Lowe has been someone who has always pointed out that like a lot of the Warriors success has been secretly that they get a ton of attempts at the rim and they convert them at a great rate. And a lot of that is because, you know, of overcommitment to, to Curry. And, like, he doesn't get credit for that, especially when Draymond has the ball up top and then steps coming off a screen and drawing two defenders, right? Like, the only place you can see that is in the on-off numbers. Right. And I think a, another thing that, uh, you know, with, with Draymond being out recently, and we should mention, too, uh, that there there was kind of some, some – uh, upsetting news as far as uh, green he looks like he's going to be out for an additional two weeks there the, the warriors have said they're going to reevaluate him in two weeks and that the calf injury that he was dealing with uh actually the after further testing revealed that the issue is related to a disc in his lower back which does not sound great but you know one of the issues i've noticed with the warriors offense without green out there is that most of the time then the screen setter for Steph is Kevon Looney. And when teams throw two at Steph and he makes that pocket pass to Looney, Looney, you know, not the the quickest, the fleetest of foot, kind of slow plotting player, not the greatest passer either. He really can't take advantage of those four on threes and nearly as well as, uh, as Draymond can. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, you know, Draymond being out, um, you know, that the Steph Draymond combination has been, always been like what defines the Warriors, right? Like Clay has been a huge part of it. But if you look at like the net rating, the on off numbers, like like uh, Steph and Draymond are like the, the big mover, like the, the, the guys who, who move the on off. Um, and to your point, like, yeah, Looney is, is better than at finishing than you would think, considering how much of a struggle it looks like. For him to like get down the court yeah. but uh yeah he's not he's not he, like very few people have the vision that Draymond does and so like asking him to do that is is pretty tough I, I think in the recent games like Juan Toscano Anderson hasn't been he's been kind of getting pushed out of the rotation but he's probably the most similar in skill set to Draymond um you know come in for that role but then like I've noticed they've been running some um you know, Curry, Clay, pick and pops. Like I think Iguodal has been getting some some of those reps as well um, on the short roll, and so they they find ways to to try to replicate Draymond, but it's it's pretty hard to. He's he's such a unique player. It's uh it's hard. To, it's very hard to do that. 
I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to be too down on Kavon Looney. I've actually really liked what he's done for the Warriors <laughs> this year. I mean, he is very limited offensively, but he he does a good job on the offensive glass, and he's been he's been unbelievable on the defensive end. You know, I, I don't think he gets enough credit. You know, Draymond Green gets all of the the plaudits, but. Kavon Looney is excellent, not only, you know, in that Cavs game, I think he he completely outclassed Jared Allen in that one. And Allen is is large is considered by a lot of people an Eastern Conference All-Star. Uh, I'm not I'm not going there, but uh, some people say so. Um, and, and Looney just completely outplayed him there. He does a really good job, I noticed as well, even defending out on the perimeter and, and being able to move his feet and anticipate where ball handlers are going with the basketball. I mean, he's, he's, you know, not as big of a part as Draymond as far as them being the number one defense, but he is a, a key cog in that machine. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think, um, I mean, you got to keep in mind, like, Looney looks like he's, like, laboring out there whenever he's on the court, but, like, he's a guy that the Warriors trusted to defend James Harden on switches in the Western Conference final, right? Yeah. Like, um, that you know that says something to like how much they they believe that he is stout defensively and especially on the perimeter like you're saying um i think a lot of people kind of bring it back to the the Wiseman discussion like a lot of people seem to think that you know he's kind of waiting in the wings to to take that starting spot but i i really find it hard to believe that like um Wiseman will be able to anytime soon have like a bigger impact uh you know, on both ends of the court, right? He certainly gives you the vertical spacing, the pick and roll option, but like, um, despite the athleticism, like you would think that it's it's tough for a young player like that to to defend on the perimeter and you know follow the defensive scheme as well as Looney. Um, you know, theoretically, if you could like implant Looney's brain into Wisen's body, you'd probably have like a, at least an all star, if not a better player. <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and right. Like I think Looney has been, has been underrated his whole career. I mean, I can't even think about how many fake trades I saw of like Looney just being sort of salary matching, just basically dumped in a fake trade. And I'm like, he, as, as you said, in the 2018 Western conference finals, like he was, he was playing significant minutes in that series against the Rockets and holding his own. He never looked outclassed. He never looked like he didn't belong. And he's, uh, you know, he's continued that. And the guy's only 25 years old. Like he's, he's still a young player. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do think it's it'll be very interesting. Like I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but it'll be interesting to see uh, the the salary implications moving forward. If I remember correctly, Looney is expiring this year on a five million dollar deal. Um, you know, it's I think there's been a thing where like Warriors castoffs tend to like not be valued too much around the league. You look at like Quinn Cook and like Jordan Bell and those types of guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Looney is definitely in a higher tier than those guys. I do wonder, but I feel like a lot of people would think that he's you know very much a system player. I wonder if he would like end up getting what kind of offers he'd end up getting um considering like joe lacob has been shelling out a ton of luxury tax and you know i would i would think looney would probably be due for a raise based on you know where his career is at um when he signed the contract versus where it is now but uh like you know is anyone else bidding for him it'd be interesting to see 
Yeah, you you wonder, like, do teams just get scared off by the fact that he <laughs> averages like six points a game? I don't, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but, yeah, it feels like night in, night out, it's like six, eight, five, you know, and, and people don't necessarily understand, okay, well, you know, you would rather have, or at least if you're talking about competing at the highest levels, I would rather have an offensively limited center that's really great on the defensive end than the opposite version of that. Like, you know, Enos Cantor has made a lot more money than Kevon Looney in his career, but, you know, in a Western Conference Finals or an NBA Finals situation, I would much rather have Kevon Looney on my team. Yeah, for sure. And like, uh, and excuse me, I should say Enos Freedom. My my apologies. <laughs> yeah, you'd be clear on that. Yeah, um, definitely agree with you. Like, I think, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is like Looney plays very much within himself, right? He's not a guy that's trying to get his numbers. Um, he's willing to do all the dirty work. And like, basically, like all of his shots are at the rim other than late clock mid-rangers when nothing else is open. I'll take like one a game of those basically like he plays very much within himself and is trying to get everyone else shots absolutely yeah and even on the on the offensive end uh when he when he gets his offensive rebounds he's typically you know just trying to pass it out there was there was a play in that in that bucks game where he got an offensive rebound and you could tell in his own mind Giannis was on his right hip he's like I don't know if I want to take this I don't think I should but he took it anyway and Giannis swatted it yeah there's a lot of that where I mean it's it's not necessarily tentativeness but he just understands his own limitations I think better than better than most players yeah he's he's down there pump faking like three or four times like risking three in the key to you know get this awkward looking layup that goes in more than you would expect (laughs) Yeah, so let's talk about the the other big part of why this Warriors defense has been so good, and that is Draymond Green. I, again, we, we mentioned that he's he's been out as of late, but uh, he's he's been absolutely phenomenal this season. It seems like he's gotten back into the kind of shape that we saw when he was at his apex with those uh, you know those teams from 2015 through 2018. And uh, he's he's finishing better at the rim, but then most notably on the defensive end, he is he seems to be locked in on not only a night to night basis, but a possession to possession basis. Yeah, definitely. I think Draymond has always been a guy that um, like I think playing the Olympics is really good for him. It's been a guy that like when he comes into the season, like in really good shape, like he hits the ground running and plays amazing. When he comes into the season, get a little out of shape, people start wondering if he's like washed and you know all of that. And so, like, I think the Olympics was really helpful for him, and he's he's been amazing. Um, you know, I think uh, defensive player of the year wise, like, I'm definitely biased, but like, assuming he plays enough games, like, I'd think he would be at the top of the list. Um, you people quibble with quibble with Gobert, but um, I think you know if you're talking about like. Again, like use the analogy, like Western Conference Finals final situation. Like I'd rather have Draymond than Gobert for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. And yeah, like I I um I would almost say like Gobert is maybe the more valuable defender to his team based on the system that they play. Um, especially if yeah, if you're talking about the regular season, but that's not really what the award is called. It's defensive player of the year, not most valuable defender. And I think 
based on that, I, I do believe that Draymond has a, has a valid case and maybe should be the front runner. Um, I, I, I talked with you, Bert, beforehand uh, about Ben Taylor's video that he did on, on Draymond Green specifically in the Warriors defense. And if any of you listening have not watched that, uh, the, the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel, check that out. It is, it is fantastic. But it just goes to show you, you've got this transcendent defensive talent in Draymond who has been in the same defensive system with the same coach in Steve Kerr for an extended period of time. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of uh, teammates that he's familiar with, of course, with Steph and Andre Iguodala coming back. And it feels like they're experimenting a little bit more, throwing out some more zone defenses, throwing out some stuff that can kind of confuse teams, almost like a matchup zone at times. And they have uh, they've just really given opposing offenses problems. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, he he has all the physical traits that you would want. Um you know, aside from his size, I guess, but the size, lack of size kind of enables everything else. Like he's a guy that you feel comfortable with switching on to any position, you know, in any half court set, like he's not going to get torched by quick guards. Um, the only time he really gets beat by your big centers are when they're really skilled, you know, your Embiid's, your Aitons occasionally, as we saw um, on some of the Warriors Sun matchups. But even then, like, they have to get good position on him, right? Like he'll fight for, he'll push them out of the way. He'll like fight for position. And like, it's only when they get the drop off in the paint that they can just hit the easy hook shots over him. But otherwise everything is tough when you're a big playing against him. Right. And that, you know, his, his wingspan and his, his strength really helps him in those one-on-one, uh, one-on-one situations. Uh, a few stats I had to, to demonstrate some of Draymond's impact this year. Teams are shooting 5.1 fewer shots at the rim when he's on the floor, which is in the 97th percentile for his position. And also, you know, we've seen plenty of highlights where he's kind of the single guy back on defense in transition. There's a two-on-one opportunity, and he kind of plays rope-a-dope and and, uh, gets a guy to pass it, and he's able to steal it away. But teams are scoring 3.4 fewer points per possession in transition when Draymond is on the floor. So not only in the half court taking away the most efficient shot in basketball, those shots at the rim, but then also making uh, making transition for the opposition much more inefficient. It's a uh, you know it's a it's a deadly combination, and why not only are the Warriors the the number one defense in the league this year, but one of the best defenses we've seen in the history of the NBA. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think Draymond's one of the few guys where you could make a like compelling defensive highlight reel for him, right? Like you mentioned the two on one stops, like the defense at the rim, but then he'll, um, like, he'll, he's, he'll be able to read like the plays the offense are trying to run, anticipate and be there faster than, you know, the, the offensive player. Um, he'll get like, surprisingly uh he'll get very surprising blocks like closing out on threes without fouling like Mm -hmm. he's just like he's very smart with everything and like the times when he messes up are usually when he's like almost you know too far ahead like you know i'll give you the offensive example he'll like try to throw a pass where the guy like stops running but like if he had kept running the cutter if the cutter had kept running then it would have been open layup but like yeah, you know, he was thinking kind of too many levels ahead for for it to actually work out, and then it looks bad. <laughs> yeah, well, and again, like you know, 
just the the stat about like opponents taking five fewer shots at the rim. It's not even a matter of yes, he he is decent at, at contesting the shots at the rim, but his ability to figure out when and when the opponent is running a decoy action and knows to not fall for that and to be in the right position. He's just in the way where, where guys are just not taking the shot or realizing like, Oh, I can't get to this position because he is, he is seeing all of these things on the floor. So yeah, he's, he's been phenomenal. Another, another fun stat uh, that I, that I found on cleaning the glass, Bert, the Warriors with, with Draymond Green, Gary Payton the second and Andre Guadalla on the court, which I would consider them probably their their three best defenders, along with Looney. Um, the, the the Warriors have a ninety seven point three defensive rate. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty insane. And like to your point, right? Like he's he's very smart about the shots that he will concede. Like he'll back off a mediocre mid range shooter to try to like bait them into shooting it. Or, you know, back going back to the Western Conference Finals, like he's became excellent at like reading that Harden Capella like lob, um, that lob action. Like I can't tell you how many alley-oops he broke up in, in those series. But yeah, the, uh, you know, if the Warriors try to go all defense, like they can put out pretty formidable lineups where they switch everything. You mentioned, you know, Gary Payton, Iguodala, you could throw Otto Porter in there with Clay and Wiggins, like. That's, those are definitely lineups where you can essentially switch one to five. And, you know, with all the, the fancy zone coverages Kerr is using, I think he really just wants to switch things up. But I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, the switch everything defense come back um, once once you get into crunch time when the games really matter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to talk briefly about Andrew Wiggins. You know, he's having... Uh, seemingly a career year. He's shooting 74% at the rim, 42% from three, which are both career highs. He's also doing a good job, you know, with, with the whole league, not, uh, not getting to the free throw line as much. He's been able to maintain his foul rate and actually make it a little bit better uh, this year than it was last year. He's in the 90th percentile and in, in shooting fouls drawn. So, you know, having a, a reasonably good offensive season, he's also sort of an outlet for this, this uh, the offense as well with his post game if if he gets a mismatch, but do you feel like Wiggins has cemented himself as one of those guys that at the end of a crucial game come you know come playoff time that that he's going to be out there on the floor as as one of the five? Yeah, I think I think for sure he'll he'll be one part of the closing lineup. Um, like you mentioned, uh, he kind of. He he fits in really well as like a lower usage player. Um, he's shooting great from the corners, I believe, from three. But generally, you know, hitting hitting threes, his, his shot profile has improved a lot since coming to the Warriors. Still yeah. does a couple post up mid rangers, but like more and more of his shots are you know three or at the rim, and those are those are the most valuable ones that you can get, right? Yeah, the um, I was watching again with the. Uh the Warriors Timberwolves game from Sunday night, I was watching the Timberwolves broadcast and Jim Peterson was, was talking about how I believe Wiggins is something like 27 of 52 from the left corner. And then like four of six from the right corner. So he, he, he has a favorite spot in that left corner and the Warriors have, have stationed him there frequently. Yeah. And then, you know, he gets work as the secondary ball handler. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how he adjusts as clay comes back. Um, Wiggins was kind of the 
the second option, I guess you would say. I think Poole had more ball handling, kind of like on-ball uh, usage. But, you know, Wiggins is second leading scorer. Like, you would think he'll take a slight step back. But, hope, like, I know I've heard in, you know, the interviews and stuff, like, the Warriors are really focused on keeping him engaged and, you know, finishing the season um, as as efficiently as he's started it. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it's it's amazing looking back that uh, that Wiggins Russell trade and obviously now the the Warriors the Warriors won that deal even though, you know, D'Angelo Russell has actually turned himself into a decent defender this season for Minnesota. But uh yeah, that uh, that's been a home run getting a guy that is a quality starting wing plus they get that upside swing with with Kaminga who as you mentioned has has shown some signs. He's obviously a, a tremendous athlete. Uh, but, uh, you know, shooting just eight of 32 from three for the season. But uh, I believe a, a big chunk of the struggles are from the corner. He's actually shot reasonably well from above the break. And, uh, you know, he's also shown a, a, a bit of the off the bounce skill. Yeah, yeah. Kuminga has been a been a fun watch. And, you know, I think um, I would not be surprised to see him as part of like the playoff rotation down the stretch. I think like. You know, the starting five with Clayback are, are pretty solidified. Then you have Poole as a six-man. But I could easily see, you know, Kaminga pushing for that seventh or eighth spot in the rotation. Kerr's been using him occasionally as a small ball five um, where he can just blow by centers off the dribble. And he's awesome to watch. Like, he he's young enough where he's trying to dunk on basically everyone whenever he drives. Yeah, he he makes dunking look incredibly easy as well as uh, as well as Gary Payton the second and Payton is is what 6364 so yeah. um yeah they they've got some really good athletes on that bench and uh you know you brought up the whole strength and numbers that's been something that Kerr has always uh has always wanted out of his team some 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 of his rosters have actually had it and some haven't but uh, this team seemingly does, but it is also one of those situations where would you as a coach rather have eight or nine guys that you know you trust and want to go with, or would you rather have, you know, maybe five guys that you trust and then players six through 12 who are all, you know, a little bit inconsistent, but you know, can, can provide some value with the right matchup. It's, it's kind of a tough call and it's, it's going to, it's certainly going to test Kerr when the playoffs arrive. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Like I said, I think the top six, you know, the starters plus pool are pretty set, but uh, you know, beyond that um, everyone's gotten some run. Everyone's had good games, but like, you know, there's also times when, you know, I find myself watching a game and, you know, Damian Lee is in having an off night and I'm just like, Oh my God, like, please Kerr, like, cut the rotation a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, um, I honestly, from, from how, from what I've seen from, from Gary Payton, the second, I almost would argue that he should probably be number seven. Uh, you know, he's, uh, yeah, that's fair. He's, he's obviously a terrific defensive player. I've heard Zach Lowe call him the best defensive player at the NBA at various times. And then offensively, you know, that was the, that was the big concern with him. Right. And, why you know he's kind of bounced around and he was even cut by the Warriors before he was picked back up before the season but you know you look at his you look at his numbers he's shooting 83 percent at the rim he's also 39 percent from three and that's 44 percent if you if you talk about the corner three so 
He's been shooting it reasonably well, albeit on low volume. He's he's great. Sort of they've they've found him to be pretty good in uh, sort of that Bruce Brown role that uh, yeah. that the Nets used in in last season's playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I I should give credit to Gary Payton. You're right. Like I think as of right now, he's probably the seventh or eighth guy, depending on where where you slot Otto Porter in. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, like you said, he's been shooting way better than anyone expected. That's kind of what was keeping him off a off an NBA roster because everyone knew he could play the defense. Um, the you know the the two attempts per game kind of makes me a little queasy. Like honestly, he looks the part. Like he looks like I would say like a thirty eight percent, thirty seven percent, you know, three point shooter. Um, it's been taking like he's been like he's people are closing out on him a little more they're not all wide open at this point and he's you know continuing to hit him at a decent rate and uh you mentioned the finishing like obviously he he has a lot of highlight real dunks but um he's also like just very like crafty like even when it's not a wide open lob like you see him you know, hit scoop layups around bigs and stuff like he's a he's a pretty skilled defense uh finisher it's not just the athletic uh, it's not just the vertical Right. And, and yeah, you, you see some guys that are, that are great dunkers, but that's the only way they know how to use their athleticism where, yeah, like you can use your athleticism to make layups too. <laughs> and, and he, he does that. Um, you brought up Otto Porter as another guy that probably is in that top seven or eight in their rotation. He's shooting 40% from, from three this year. And it seems like he's a perfect fit within, within this Warriors system. They've got guys like Nemanja Bialica and Juan Toscano-Anderson. We already brought up Kaminga. And then even their, their other rookie, Moses Moody, who had an impressive run in, uh, in the G League, over eight games, averaging 27.5 points, 37% from three on 9.8 attempts per game, and a 57% on twos. So uh, I think early on in the season, it was Moody that Kerr trusted a little bit more as uh, as his rookie option, even over Kaminga. Yeah, I mean, there was um, there was some thought that uh, you know the the, tr- the traditional, I guess the the traditional thought amongst Warrior fans was that Kaminga is a bigger talent, but Moody is the more NBA ready player um, going into the draft. Like you would think that his skill set would be perfect as a three and D wing. Um, so far, I don't think he's shot. He's not been able to hit the three at the NBA level. He looks a little like the game is moving too fast for him. He's not super confident, which is probably, you know, why they're trying to get him shots and get, get him a lot of, uh, offensive reps in the G league. Um, but you know, he could, there's a, there's a chance he could emerge, um, you know, from the end of the bench as the season goes on. But yeah, it's, uh, it's surprising that I guess surprising and good that uh, a good sign that Kaminga has earned the trust so quickly despite, you know, uh, mediocre three-point shooting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's, he's also, I think Kerr has done a good job in terms of those games where it it gets out of hand, like the Milwaukee game, he's given Kaminga some, some run and just getting him some experience in those moments as well, because even though they're meaningless in the moment, those reps could provide uh, big time dividends in, in a few months. But, uh, you know, with the, with the trade deadline coming up in less than a month, Bert, do you feel like the Warriors are, are going to make a move. They should make a move. How, how are you feeling about that whole situation? 
Yeah, so I think um, I would say it's unlikely that they would make a move. I think, you know, I've heard it brought up and, and I've seen it as a fan that like the, the Bob Myers doesn't tend to make very many in-season trades. Um, and then especially with the depth this year, like there's not obvious like salary filler that you would send out to get, you know, a $10 million salary or what, you know, whatever the size is for a typical rotation player. Well, the, so, the obvious choices there would be their youngsters and James Wiseman, who I think is over 10 million. And then also Kaminga as the seventh pick has got a, as a hefty rookie salary. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, the, you're right. The only way you would be able to match, you know, salary uh, for most players, like unless you pull off something for like Lou, Lou Dort or some, someone on a rookie contract would be using one of the high rookies, but um, Lakeb has been Joe Lakeb, the owner, has been always pretty uh, adamant that he wants to be the next Spurs. You know, much to the chagrin of some some fans of the summer. Like I will say, in the off season, like I when Kaminga fell to us, like I was definitely on board with drafting him, but more so from the perspective of like this is the best asset that we can get. Like he's kind of a black box, you know, right. uh, mystery box kind of player that um, you're not. A lot of times you draft a player and the player's worth less than like pick would have been. But like in his case, you know, he probably retains that number seven pick just because of how raw of a prospect he is. Um, like I was definitely in the camp of like, we should trade all these guys and maximize the window. It was, um, I didn't really see us uh, having such a, you know, big turnaround from last season. I was more so expecting like a, like a six seed while we keep clay you know, ramp them up and then hopefully, you know, we get some favorable matchups in the playoffs. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's, it's always a, just a matter of risk, right? It's like how much of a risk is it to not make an upgrade this season and potentially cost yourself a, a shot at a championship or, you know, do they just, and I think they have a right to feel like, you know, we've, we've got a legit shot with the crew that we have, especially once, they get Draymond Brack and, and Clay Thompson gets his legs under him. But at the same time, when, when you are say one of the top three or four teams with a chance at the, t- at the title, and you can legitimately make a win now move to improve your seven or eight man rotation. A lot of times I'm of the mindset that like, you know, championships don't come around often and who cares what you're doing in six years. Uh, a, a title or a banner hanging up in the rafters is more important than any of that. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Like, I think um, if I were, you know, if I was magically Bob Myers, like I would look very hard at trading Wiseman and maybe like some some minor future assets for an upgrade, either, you know, probably at the five, but like, you know, somewhere uh, along the roster, just because like, I've always been low on Wiseman. Like I wasn't too high on him in the draft and like, definitely like you see, you you can see signs of why the front office loves him so much. Um, But you know, at the end of the day, the Warriors best lineup doesn't involve a traditional center. And I find it, I, you know, this is year two of Wiseman. Like it's almost kind of a lost year given we're halfway through and he still hasn't played yet. Right. Um, so he's two years left on the rookie deal. Like you would expect he's probably a little better than last year, but last year he was by the metrics, like one of the worst players in the NBA. So he's probably still a negative player this year. And then you get into year three. 
uh, year four, you're starting to think about the extension, right? Beyond the rookie contract. Like, I feel like there's going to be a lot of pressure to retain him just because of his pedigree and how like little court time he's played. But, um, you know, you've seen this with other guys like Jaleel Okafor where the, the team sits on them too long and then they don't end up getting any value for him, right? Like, I think ultimately I would probably err on the side of trying to get value for him now. Um, I think Kuminga and Moody are players that, you know, more easily fit into the, what the Warriors traditionally are all about. And, like, Kuminga has shown more than Wiseman has, right? And, like, I think if there's anyone that you're any of the three guys you're deeming as untouchable, it's it's Kuminga, and then you try to use Wiseman for for an upgrade this year. Yeah, um, the challenge too being that you know, given and, and as you said, Wiseman has been has been injury riddled, so hasn't played much. But um, you know, I feel like his his trade value might still be you know that it only takes one team, but I, I would guess it's not super high at the moment given. His, his injuries and even his play on the court when, when we've seen him. Um, so you wonder like, okay, is Wiseman and a future draft pick enough to, to get a quality player back? You know, that, that is a concern. I, uh, I've always loved the idea of, and, and maybe this is just a matter of like um, me wanting them to just bring the whole band back since they brought back Iguodala, but I've always liked the idea of, uh, of using Wiseman and Kaminga to bring back Harrison Barnes. Yeah, I mean Barnes definitely is. Uh, you know, he he would fit pretty well into that closing lineup. You know, the best five Warriors could put out there. I would say, like, like I said though, I think it's um, given where Kaminga is at. You know, as a raw nineteen-year-old who's working his way into the rotation, it's kind of hard to see. You know, I think uh, the the front office has been very uh, vocal about how much they love Wiseman, and like, you know, I guess you would say that even if you were looking to trade him, but it doesn't give the impression that they're looking to trade him. But, uh, you know, again, if, if, if uh, I could wave a wand and, you know, do trade finder, like this is NBA 2K, I would definitely look at, you know, uh, a Miles Turner, you know, some other uh, big five uh, that you could play, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a game and, help shore up uh, a matchup against, you know, an Aiton or a, or a Gobert or, you know, whatever, what have you. Yeah. Um, the, the reason I'm thinking Barnes or like, you know, a wing of that type is just in terms of, yeah, the, the closing lineups with, as you said, where they're going to likely play Draymond at center. And I think what made the, the death lineup special and then whatever the, whatever the lineup was with, with Kevin Durant was that, you know, even though you had Steph Curry out there and even though you had, uh, you know, a, a short center, uh, you, you still were relatively big across most positions. And so with, with the lineup I talked about earlier, that might be this year's version of the death lineup, which includes Steph and pool, you know, that, that is a little bit small in the backcourt. And then you talk about, okay, well, you'd say you take out pool, you throw in Iguodala, then you're worrying about, okay, maybe that doesn't have quite enough shooting. Um, you know, you, you put in maybe auto Porter, maybe auto Porter is the solution and that he's the guy that can give you that two-way play. But I do, I do worry like, okay, is there a guy that I fully trust in that spot? Um, you know, to, to not only win one playoff series, but to win four. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think like from my perspective, I would say like 
again, like most likely scenarios, they don't trade anyone. Like the season has kind of found money based on, you know, how much they've, they've exceeded expectations. But, um, you know, for me, I would say like, uh, Porter is probably the guy you're slotting in as the big wing, um, you know, in the Barnes, in the Barnes role, if you're saying like Wiggins is the Iguodala or the, the, right. the discount Kevin Durant in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the 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 only thing that would be interesting again, like the Warriors have always been, uh, they've always been in love with the idea of bringing in stars, right? And so, like the if you could get like a star level wing, like that would be something where again, like I'm more focused on the present. Like I don't think this is what they would do, but like you know, hypothetically, like a Paul George becomes available or something, like that's when you would. Be, I would be willing to throw the farm, you know, throw Wiseman, Kuminga, Moody, and like future picks, right? For something like that, where you're really improving that closing lineup. Yeah, no, it's 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 completely fair to question like, does Harrison Barnes improve your title chances enough to warrant, yeah, as you said, getting rid of of somebody with the potential of Jonathan Kuminga and you know potentially sacrificing some some future success. Um, but yeah, the, uh, they're going to be, they're going to be fascinating to watch as the year goes on. Do you feel like they're the favorites in the Western conference? You know, they, there's also of course the, the Phoenix suns and the the couple matchups we've seen of those two teams. I mean, I, I am really hoping that they, uh, they match up in the playoffs because I think that's a really fun, fun duel. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, um, again, biased as someone who follows the team, but, um, I would say I would take the Warriors over anyone else in the Western Conference, but I wouldn't take them over the field, if that makes sense. I think they have the best odds of any individual team. Um, but, you know, Phoenix is certainly formidable. I'm pers- I'm not that scared of Utah, but, like, you know, Utah is definitely a good team. And then, like, the Grizzlies have seemingly had the Warriors number for the last couple of years for whatever reason. So, you know, that I could see that series, you know, dragging on and, you know, once, once you get into game six, game seven, like anything can happen. Yeah. The Warriors Grizzlies, you know, again, with that, with that playing game last year, and they've already had some fun games in, in this regular season, that seems to be a, a budding rivalry that, uh, that, that is, that is a lot of fun. And of course it's, it's fun to see John Steph go at it, even though, they're often not matched up against each other, but yeah. uh, so, so same question then if you include the East team, so obviously you'll take the field in that case, but as far as any individual team, are you still taking the Warriors? I think um, if you include the East, like I would probably favor like a healthy Bucks and a healthy Nets over, over the Warriors, like the Bucks, I think, I think both of these teams with like Giannis and KD, they present, I think Giannis more so than Katie, but like it's they're like huge matchup problems for the Warriors. Yeah, like yeah, the, a lot uh, of the, the broadcasters during that uh, that Warriors Bucks game were talking about the absence of Draymond and that he would be the guy guarding Giannis, and it's like yeah, he probably is the best option, but I still don't think Draymond is a is a is a great choice to guard Giannis, and also if you're putting him on the Greek Freak that takes away what he's best at, which is, you know, being that elite help defender. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. I think, um, 
you know, Draymond would probably do the best job. Like I think in the in the Warriors uh, Nets games that we've seen, like Draymond has probably done the best defending KD. Um, but in both cases, like like I said, especially for Draymond or for Giannis, like your other wing defenders are are big and strong enough for most of these like elite wings, like your Wiggins, Iguodala, Otto Porter, you know, Kaminga, if he gets minutes, like they're, they all have solid size. You know, they, I'd feel comfortable having them guard a Paul George, you know, maybe LeBron, but like once you get into like seven feet, Giannis and KD, like they're just a little, like not strong enough for Giannis and maybe not tall enough for KD, but like no one really defends KD that well. Yeah, I mean, I went into the the NBA Finals last year thinking the Phoenix Suns had some had decent personnel to deal with uh, to deal with Giannis, and I ended up being completely wrong on that. And you know, we talk about the Warriors and you know those those lineups with with Draymond at the five and and playing somebody like Harrison Barnes at the four back in the old days, or like currently Andrew Wiggins. And I think that works against the vast majority of teams and their ability to switch a lot of actions. But I think Giannis has become just that, <laughs> that one guy that just basically nukes that sort of strategy at times. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough scenario situation. Um, like it's uh, I don't know. Giannis is like Draymond at center has always been like the best lineup. Right. Um, but you know, I'd love to see it um, in a seven-game series, but like, could be that Giannis at center is more of a cheat code than Draymond at center, right? <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah, it just goes to show you that 2019 Raptors team how uniquely suited they were defensively to deal with them with with the likes of Gasol and Kawhi and Pascal as their front court, just throwing so much size there and so much help defense. But uh, were, yeah. was there anything else about the Warriors uh, you wanted to discuss, Bert, before we wrap up? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, going back to that point about Giannis, like it seems like uh, teams the last couple of years have, you know, gone this, the strategy of throwing their traditional center at him, which the Warriors don't have, unless you count Wiseman. But again, like is Wiseman actually going to see minutes in an NBA Finals? Probably not. Um, so, yeah, that that's an option the Warriors don't really have. Like you could throw Looney out there, but he's already small as a yeah. as a traditional five. Right, Giannis is legitimately bigger than Kavad Ludius. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, that'd be definitely interesting. And then I would just say, again, don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but, uh, you know, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this roster changes over the next two years. Uh, Lakob, I think, has been paying, like, well over 100 million luxury tax. It seems like there's, you know some upper limit maybe in 400 million 300 something million in like total team salary plus luxury tax for him we'll we'll see but uh you know pool will be up for an extension soon uh wiggins i think has two years left on his max deal and then um you know wiseman and all the rest like how is uh how theoretically we could retain all of them, right? But then you're looking at like a five, six hundred billion payroll. So yeah. uh, it'd be interesting to see what they do um, moving forward. Well, yeah, and, and even some of their their free agents that they got on the minimum, like Otto Porter Jr. and Nemanja Bjelica, I imagine those guys are gonna, um, you know, get more money next off season. 
So it, it probably will be in a lot of respects, you know, them trying to do this uh, something similar again over the next couple of years is just find those guys that maybe for whatever reason uh, their, their market value has decreased, whether that's due to injury or just having an off season or what have you. And, and yeah, find those guys. And this, you know, in, in past years, you know, the past couple of seasons, they maybe didn't do such a good job of that, but it seems like this year they really nailed it with, with those guys I mentioned as well as, uh, as well as Gary Payton, the second. Yeah. I think um, probably Otto Porter is like paid, played himself out of the price range. The Warriors can pay him. If, if I remember my cap correctly, they can pay him at most the non tax pyramid level, which is about like five to six million. You'd yeah. think he would get a better offer than that. Um, I believe unless, they have, just, unless he's just willing to take less to, and he's really happy in, in his role and, and situation. Yeah. That's, I mean, possible. to be fair, he does, he does have a max contract from Washington on his, you know, in his bank account, but you right. he can get a bigger contract if he wants it. Yeah. Um, and then Gary Payton, I think because we have his early bird rights, uh, we can offer him somewhere in the neighborhood of like four years, 10 million, you know, 40 million, 10, average 10 million a year. Um, but again, with the luxury tax, that comes out to, you know, tens of millions for Gary Payton. Um, yeah. And, you know, at some point, Lakeup is going to say no. We just don't know what that breaking point is yet. <laughs> And he's also, you know, I, I don't think people necessarily realize this because Gary Payton II hasn't been on the minds of uh, NBA people for more than a couple of years, but he's 29. So a, a, a four-year deal for him, you know, um, if he loses some of that athleticism on the, the last couple of years of that contract, that could get, that could potentially get ugly. Yeah, yeah, definitely a consideration. Um, and on the other, but on the other end, like you're probably not getting a discount from Gary Payton, right? Like right. this is his one chance to 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 make money. I mean, his father is an NBA player, so I'm sure his family is probably fine. But um, you know, this is his one chance to get a big contract in his career, and like, you should definitely take it. And if someone's willing to pay him more than that, ten million a year, you know, I think Warriors fans will wish him well, and uh, you know, be happy we got him for that one year. Yeah, the Warriors are, you know, one of the most fascinating and fun products on the actual court. And uh, they're also one of the, the most fun to follow off the court because they've got a lot of interesting decisions coming up in the next year or two. Well, Bert, this was this was a heck of a lot of fun. Thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin MBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle, on my once you click on my Twitter handle. Uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Gary does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar. Leftovers 
or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.